Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Good morning, church. This time I'll dismiss our kiddos, third grade and under, to two moms in the back of the room, Miss Jennifer and Miss Brooke. Uh, thankful for those moms who are serving this morning uh, in the nursery and the kids' ministry and various other capacities as well. Let me say a happy Mother's Day to all of you moms who are in the room in addition. Uh, if you're a guest with us, my name's Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Uh, when you came in, you may have found a card like this in a seat somewhere around you. On one side, that's a place for some information about yourself. Um, the other side, that's a place for prayer requests. If there are things we could pray with you or for you about, it'd be our honor to do that. If you fill out one of these cards, you can drop it in the box at the kiosk in the back of the room on your way out. We'd love to connect with you, just send you some information about who we are as a church and what, what we're doing here in the fake community. Um, you can also find that same form on the homepage of our website. You can fill it out there and submit it electronically if you so choose. Um, so we're glad that you're here with us this morning on this Mother's Day Sunday. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 20. I'll read all of those verses, but really key in this morning on verses 16 to 18 um, will be the text that our sermon this morning will come out of. But let's read together Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. If you don't have a copy of the Bible in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along there as we read together. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, we read, He... Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word. You know, if I had to tag this text with a title this morning, I would choose the supremacy of Christ or the supremacy of Jesus. Now, whenever you think about that word supreme, uh, when something is labeled with that type of an adjective, it is because it is the ultimate, right? It's the utmost, it's the highest, it's the greatest, it's matchless, it's un unparalleled, it is renowned, it's the best. And so whenever we think about things that are supreme, the first, one of the first things may come to mind may be the Supreme Court, Okay. The Supreme Court in our nation is the highest court to which you can appeal with the, for a judicial decision. And so you can go through all the lower courts and you can continue to appeal their decisions until you get to the Supreme Court. But once they have rendered a verdict, it is spoken they, because they are the highest court in the land. Or you might think of a Supreme Pizza, okay? A Supreme Pizza is a pizza with all the toppings, all right? So everything you could possibly imagine. Now, I don't know if you like... Uh, anchovies, okay? I don't know why anyone would put that on a pizza. Uh, but a Supreme Pizza has all the toppings on it. Now, they didn't crowdsource the name of the pizza whenever they created it. The inventor of the pizza gave it the name, the Supreme, because, well, it, it had everything. It was all inclusive. Or you might think of the 1960s Motown group, the Supremes. All right? They were given a Lifetime Achievement Award earlier this year at the Grammys. And Rolling Stone listed them among the top 100 artists of all time because at their best, at their height, at their highest, well, they were supreme. They were at the top of the pile when it came to artists in our nation. So when we label something with that word supreme, it's because it's the highest, the best, the ultimate, the utmost. Let me ask you a question this morning, church. What is at the top of your life? What is the highest authority in your life? What is highest or who is highest in your heart? What is utmost in the operations of your family? 
What is it organized around? Or who is it organized around? What has first place in your vision for life, your vision for family, your vision even for this congregation if you're a member of this church? You see, so much of the language in this passage refers to the supremacy of Jesus. Just listen to it. He's firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he was the first created thing, but rather he possesses all the rights, all the privileges, all the authority of the firstborn son in the ancient world because everything came from the Father to that firstborn in the ancient world, and that's the position that Jesus is seated in. He's the head of the body. He's before all things. He's the beginning. Beginning, the firstborn from the dead, in all things preeminent, fullness of God dwelling in him, all things existing by and through and for him. The supremacy of Christ is the theme of this passage. And his position as the ultimate, the utmost, the greatest, the highest, the matchless sovereign. In other words, he has all the toppings, okay? He has all the authority. To make rule, to rule and make decisions. And he's got all the hits to his name. Right? He is indeed supreme. And this reality, the supremacy of Christ, is what was at stake in Colossae. As false teaching had begun to emerge and spread through the church. To say, hey, look, Jesus is great, but if you really want life, if you really want vitality, if you really want fullness then you've got to look somewhere else. And that false teaching undermined the greatness and the glory of Jesus and sought to make the Colossian Christians dependent upon something other than Jesus for their life. Some other knowledge or some other experience that didn't come from him nor lead back to him, but it led in a different direction. And it is into that context that Paul writes these words that we read in verses 15 to 20. Now, in this passage, there are no commands. Right? There's nothing that Paul says, hey, go do this. It's all assertions. Right? Charles led off last week in verse 15 with the he is and took us back to the I am's of Jesus uh, throughout the Gospels. And listen, so it's all assertion saying, this is who Jesus is, revealing his identity. But I believe that because, here's how I would put it, there is a dot in the middle of this passage, and that dot is the supremacy of Jesus. But extending out from that dot are these lines of implications that run into our lives. That if he is indeed these things, then this is how we would respond to him. This is how we would live. And so I want us to take a look at three lines this morning that I think run out of that dot. And then we're going to finish with trying to more fully understand the dot in the center of the passage. But before we get there, let's look at the lines that run out of it. The first line that runs out of this big truth in the passage is this. That if Jesus is indeed supreme, then we ought to conform to his design. We ought to conform to Jesus' design. Look, in verse 16, Paul lets us in on the foundational truth of all the universe. He says, we were made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. It's the foundational truth of everything that exists, right? And so you do not exist by accident, okay? We've been, we've been really having a fun time with this with our kids at Access in the preteen ministry, right? You are not here by accident. You were created with purpose, with intent and by design, right? And so we ought to conform to Jesus' design. Verse 16 begins with the word for. It's a little preposition that indicates a reason for something. And it's there, listen, to make a logical connection between what came before it and what's coming after it. And if you think about what came before it in verse 15 when we read, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, the one who has all authority, all rights, all privileges, from the Father, right? The, so, f- and it's for that reason then that he, pos- that he possesses all these rights, privileges, and authority. And the reason is because he made everything. The reason is because it was all made by him, through him, and for him. And you see all three of those prepositions come out in verse 16. And the way I'd like to make it street level for you this morning is like this. Listen, Jesus is the architect, he is the contractor, and he's the owner of everything that exists. 
So he's designed it. He's the architect, right? He sat down at the drafting table and sketched out all of the blueprints, all the drawings, all the design specs, all the engineering that went into the creation of the world was done by Jesus. But not only is the architect, okay, making big bucks out there to draw, draft up blueprints, right? Not only is he the architect, but he's also the contractor, Right, So the architect is the one who draws the specs and the blueprint. The contractor is the one who looks at those plans and then brings it into existence and begins to frame and pour foundations and set fixtures and all of those things. He is the contractor who has built the universe. He was the word that was there at the beginning when God spoke all things into being and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Jesus is the contractor who has built all things, but he's also the one for whom it was built. It was, it's all for him. He's the owner. He's the inhabitant, so to speak. So there's nothing that he does not own, including all things in heaven and all things on earth, including all things that you can see visible, all things that you can't see invisible, including every person and every position of power, rulers, authorities, thrones, and dominion. Jesus owns it all, lock, stock, and barrel. Right? So he's the architect, he's the contractor, and he's the owner. He's all three of those things. So if, if he owns all things, listen, if, if, what, if, what does that mean then for you and I? If we make it street level, if Jesus designed all creation, including you, including your body, then your best life, okay? Everybody's talking about their best life. Listen, then your best life is one that is lived in conformity to his design. Your most, it may not be your easiest life, it may not be your most comfortable life, but be, it is your most fulfilling, best life is lived in conformity to his design. If he designed you, if Jesus has also made all things, including you, then every ability, every, every gift that you have ultimately has come from him. He's the source. You owe your existence to him and all of your creativity ought to be used to bring him glory and honor. It ought to be used to glorify him and not yourself. Okay? And so when we stand on stages or whenever we go to productions, ultimately all the glory is going to Jesus in our work, in our labor, in our parenting, in everything that we do. Okay? We owe our existence to him. All the things that he's given us belong to him. And all the gifts that we have that we exercise come from him. Right? And so we don't use them for ourselves. We use them for him. And if Jesus owns all things, including powers in the highest places, then this means that one day they will have to give an account to him for how they exercise that dominion and how they exercise that rule. And do you know that he's also given dominion and delegated authority, not just to people who sit on thrones, but also people who sit around dinner tables. Right? Or in office complexes. And so how are you exercising, delegating, uh, exercising the delegation of God to you that took place at the foundation of the world in creation when he made man and woman and says, he said, exercise, had dominion over the earth. How are you fleshing that out? If it, ultimately, he's the one who owns everything and you're accountable to him for the way that you exercise your authority. If he designed all things, if he built all things, then he knows how everything works best. And so the best life that you can live is in conformity to his design. In fact, that was God's plan from the very foundation of the world. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, we read these words. For those whom he foreknew, those that he set his affection upon before the foundations of the world, he says he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, his son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. So that Jesus, right, would be the pattern for everyone who came after him. The firstborn of all this family that looks and thinks and lives like him conformed to him conformed to his design and the way that we do that listen if you're going man that sounds great but how do I do that the way that you do that is by taking his word and putting it into practice in your life 
In fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you get to the end of that sermon, and Jesus is going to make this statement. He says in Matthew 7, 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man whose house is built on a rock. Now, if you know that text, you know I left something out. Because Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, will be a wise man who has built his house on the rock. See, when we conform to his design, it's not some abstract concept or ethereal discussion. Rather, it's concrete in the realities of our lives. Right? In fact, if you go back in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about dependence upon God in prayer. That's a part of his design for you. Not that you would live independent from God, making your own decisions and being your own person, but that you would live in constant daily dependence upon him through prayer. Or generosity towards God and others. Right? That I'd be generous with my things and with my time and with myself towards God and not hoarding everything for myself. And I'd also be generous towards others and moving into their lives in ways that meet needs. That we would have purity of mind and body in our lives. Jesus goes through, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And he deepens, he takes sin from out here and places it in here. And so he says, your mind and your heart need to be pure. As, and if those things are pure, then what's coming out will be pure. It doesn't work the other way around. And so conformity to his design looks like taking his word and putting it into practice because he's the architect and the contractor and the owner of everything that exists, including me and including you. Are you living in light of that reality? By him, through him, for him. Second line that extends out of this passage is this, that we have to follow Jesus' path and pace. Like, where do you get that from? That's a great question. In verse 18, Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the body. Now, the Colossian Christian, right, it's one of the, one of the vocational liabilities, okay? Uh, the Colossian Christians would have understood the head as the governing member of the body. The head ruled over, nourished, and provided for the body. Okay, so that was their understanding. So when Jesus says that, or when Paul says Jesus is the head of the body, that's what they're thinking. And so the relevance for them is immense. So over and against those who were claiming that real spiritual vitality came from some other source, Paul says, no, Jesus is the head, the one, one, and, one and only true source of life for the body. Right, because do you know that without your head, right, without your brain that is constantly firing, sending signals to the rest of your body to do things, right? right my brain right now is telling me to talk with my hands because that's what my brain tells me every time I get up in front of somebody. And so I'm constantly moving my hands, right? My brain right now is telling me, pace this way on the stage or that way on the stage. Your brain is telling you how to respond in all kinds of ways at all times, and without that brain firing, right, your body may continue to live on life support, but you are clinically classified as being brain what? Dead. And so your body is no longer moving because it's cut off from the source of life. And so the reality for the Colossians is this, is that Jesus is the head if you, as, insofar and to the degree that they were connected to him would be the degree to which they had life. And vitality in their body, in their church. Now, let me see if I can break it down for you like this. A few weeks, was it last week? I think it was last week. There are millions of Americans across our nation who set their DVRs to record something that was taking place across the pond in England. Okay? Some of them had watch parties, right? I've even seen some pictures of some of you and some of your decorations and things that you did to have watch parties for the coronation of the new king in England, right? And so with the passing of Queen Elizabeth and the coronation of King Charles, the passing of the, of the crown and of the throne and of the scepter there, lots of pomp and circumstance, okay, over there in England, all right, so big parades and, 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 and meetings in Westminster Abbey and all kinds of things taking place as the new king was coordinated. But do you want to know the truth behind 
King Charles, or even Queen Elizabeth, as, as, as great of a leader as she was, right? When it comes to actual authority in the government there, they have figurative authority, not functional and actual authority. That authority rests in the prime minister and the parliament. They are the ones who are making decisions. Right? They are the ones who are driving direction. They are the ones who are passing laws and ordinances. Right? The king or the queen at the top is a figurative position with figurative authority, not functional and actual authority. Listen, I want to tell you something. Jesus is not a king like Charles. Okay? He is a king with functional and actual authority, not figurative authority. Right? So as, as, as the head of the church, as the head of the body, Right? And so this is what it means. We don't just tip our cap to Jesus and then make our own decisions. Right? That's what like tip your cap to the king, right? Or bow down before the queen. But then you go and make decisions in parliament and, 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 and with the prime minister. No, that's not how it works. Jesus actually has functional authority in our lives and in the church. And so as a result, the degree to which you and I as individuals and we collectively as a church body are looking to Jesus as our head, as the source of life, is the degree to which we will find wisdom that we need in the moment to make decisions and f- when we need it and find true, real life. What is, who is your head? Who is your head, church? Listen, let me, let me see if I can make it street level. So Jesus is not only the one to whom we are conforming, but he's also the one that we are following. I was reminded a couple of weeks ago at a church leadership conference that our staff attended that Jesus is indeed the good shepherd. That's what he calls himself in the gospel of John. He's the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he leads his sheep. He leads, feeds, guides, and protects his flock. And as as the speaker was preaching from Psalm 23, he reminded us that there are several ways in which the good shepherd leads his people. He doesn't drive them from the back like a cowboy would, right? We've all heard that before, many of us have. But he leads them from the front because they have no idea where they're going, okay? And as he leads them from the front, he does two things. He determines the path and he sets the pace as the shepherd leads, Now, the shepherd sets the pace, and I can tell you, sometimes we're frustrated with the pace, aren't we? Sometimes we get discouraged with the pace of transformation and growth in our own lives, of change. We thought we would have put this sin to death by now, right? We thought we would have been further along in our, our bearing the image of Christ by now, right? We thought that those things that once shackled and bound us, we would be completely free from by now. Sometimes we get discouraged by the pace in our own lives. Sometimes we become discontent with the pace of transformation and growth in the lives of those we love, right? I thought my spouse would have been different by now, right? I thought my kids would have been different by now. I thought, right, my church would have been different by now, We can begin to grumble when the pace of development at times in our lives or even in our church isn't what we had expected. Listen, today is nine years, right? Mother's Day of 2014 is whenever I came into pastoral leadership here at Redeemer. So it's been nine years. And as I look back over the last nine years, I would have thought that we would have been further forward by now, had more development by now. But I'm reminded constantly that it is Jesus who sets the pace. While we're responsible for our actions and we ought to do things well, right, be responsible and accountable for our actions, Jesus is the one who's setting the pace of growth, development, and change. But not only does he set the pace, he determines the path. Sometimes we're confused by the path, aren't we? (laughs) If I'm being real honest. We can become confused when it seems that Jesus is leading others to green pastures and still waters, but we're still walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I just want to say this. His leadership is always good. Whether you're in a green pasture or whether you're in the valley. Because he has purpose in all things. He has purpose on the plateau and he has purpose in the valley. We can be puzzled by the path that Jesus takes us on. 
when he takes us on a journey of faith to believe that his leadership is always good in character and it's always best in options. And some of us experience, have experienced this personally, right? Multiple times. I know I have in my own life. When, when I thought the path that he was leading in one direction, he took a hard right that I never saw coming. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. And so the question for us is, is the path that we've laid out for our lives subject to course correction because he is our shepherd. He sets the path. He's the head. And this happens at churches as, as well at times. When a vision is cast and a course is charted, and then Jesus leads us through a school zone, right? Everything slows down. Here we're coming through the school zone. And then we get to a roundabout. I hate those things. Right? And Jesus seems to take us in circles for what seems like hours, okay? And then he exits the direction that we never thought he would possibly exit. We thought we were continuing to go north, and he goes east. It's darn roundabouts. Is the path that we've envisioned for our church subject to course? He's governing. He's ruling. He's providing. We need to be open-handed with regards to the path and the pace and follow him. Third, at times when the path of the pace changes, it can feel like your world's being pulled apart. I think you've experienced that. I've experienced that. So in those moments, let me encourage you, trust Jesus to hold you together. See, in verse 17, we read these words, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things. So Jesus not only exists prior to time, but he also exists superior to everything that is. That's what that word before literally means in Greek. And then, in him all things hold together. That word hold together literally means this, to unite the parts into one whole. Right, so bringing all these pieces together into, to form one cohesive unit. Right? And it says Jesus is the one who's doing that. He's like the divine glue that holds everything in its proper place. All things natural. So every heartbeat, every flutter of an eyelid, every rustle of a blade of grass, every breath that you breathe is sustained by the risen Son of God. It was Paul elsewhere in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, who said to the men of Athens, is in him, this unknown God, Jesus, that he's preaching to the men who are gathered there uh, at, at Mars Hill, in him we live and move and have our being. All things are held together in him. All things spiritual. I don't know about you, but you can watch the evening news and it seems like the world is being pulled apart at the seams and everything appears to be in chaos. But I want to tell you something, in the midst of all that, Jesus is holding everything together. One crisis after another may hit the news cycle or crash on the shores of your life personally. But in those moments, in those massive tsunamis, he's still holding everything together. And all things natural, all things spiritual, all things in his church. He's uniting all the parts into one whole. Let me see if I can show it to you this way. When my kids were little, I often remember them asking, you know, they put together their birthday list. They put together their Christmas list. And almost inevitably, whenever they were younger, one of the things on that list was a Lego set. So, and they weren't like the 50-piece Lego sets. Your parents know what I'm talking about, right? They weren't the 50-piece Lego sets you could put together in like five minutes. Oh, no. They were like the 1,000-piece Lego sets. You were carving out a whole weekend for those jokers, right? And so these big, they were like scenes from a movie, right? Some animated movie they had seen. Or like some Star Wars spaceship, okay? And so that, those were the things they were requesting. And I can remember as we opened the packages and poured out the pieces, here we have this instruction manual, okay? That's telling you, right? You're, by the way, you're absolutely lost without that manual, okay? You can put something together, but it ain't going to be what's on that box, okay? And so you empty out all the pieces, and there they are before you. And you're taking piece by piece, and you're interlocking them together. 
in such a way as, as, as you build it according to the instructions in such a way that it's forming this picture, it's forming this design, right? That the kid's looking at the box and going, I can see what we're building. I can see it in that picture. And I tell you something this morning, that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking all the pieces and he's interlocking them together in such a way as to create something that is bigger and more beautiful than any of those pieces are in isolation of one another. And he's doing it in his church. He holds all things together. He's locking them in place. And listen, so much of this language, it has to do with control. And when it comes to control, you and I, this is street level, okay? You and I, when it comes to control, we have three options. We can be in control, we can be out of control, or we can be under control. Now, let's remove that second one because I don't, well, in surveys, if I survey very informally, I don't think anyone in the room would say, yes, I want my life to be completely out of control, completely in disarray, completely ununified, completely, right, just wheels off. Nobody's like, yes, sign me up for that. So when we think about being in control or being under control, let me ask you this question. How are you doing at being in control? Holding all the pieces together. I tell you, I tell you how I'm, I'm doing, okay? When it comes to being in control, I, I feel like, I feel like I'm trying to put together a Lego set without the instructions. But when we're under control, under the control and leadership of someone who has designed all things and who has determined the path and the pace. And he's able to hold all things together. In fact, things spin out of control in our lives so often because we want to be in control. Trust him to hold you together. Those are the three lines. Right, conform to his design, follow his path and pace, trust him to hold you together. But what's the dot? Hmm. Here's where I'll start preaching. What's the dot that all these lines extend out of? I said it to you already. I'll say it to you in a different way. That Jesus takes first place in all things. He's supreme. He's matchless. In verse 18, Paul affirms that when he says this, that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. In other words, that he is the first to be resurrected. And Paul's going to say elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus' resurrection means that you and I will be resurrected and that Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we're going to raise out of the grave one day whether you've been cremated, whether you've been buried in a casket and your body has been left to the natural forces of corruption, right? Whichever of those two options, you're incinerated into dust or you're buried in the ground, right? You will be resurrected. God will reconstitute your body and reunite your soul and you will live with him forever in heaven if you are in Christ. Amen? He's the firstborn from the dead. And his resurrection serves as a validation of his identity as God, that he is who he claimed to be. And he says there's a purpose in that. And here's what the purpose is, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now that word preeminent literally means to take the first seat, to have the first place. See, the preeminence of Jesus means that he's supreme, exalted, renowned, unsurpassed. He is at the top. So there is none who is his equal, there is no one who is above him, and there is no one who is beside him. In fact, this kind of language is all over the Old Testament in reference to Yahweh. And the same language shows up in his application to Jesus in the New Testament. Let me give you a few examples. Just a few. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 39, Moses has just recounted the history of Israel from creation through their coming into the land of promise. And this is what he says in conclusion. 
Know therefore to the people, know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Or later on, God, speak, God speaking in Deuteronomy 32, 39, see now that I, even I, am he and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. First place, preeminence. In Joshua 2.11, the words of Rahab, the prostitute who hides the spies whenever they come to check out the land, they echo through the generations as she lays out the reason that she's helping these spies. Why is she giving them cover? She says she has heard what the Lord did to deliver the people from Egypt and how he gave them victory over the Amorites and the land beyond the Jordan before they crossed in to the land of promise and to Canaan. And then in Joshua 2.11 she says, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. First place, preeminence. In 2 Kings, the righteous king Hezekiah, Israel had some bad ones. Okay, Judah had some bad ones, but Hezekiah was a good one. He gets word from the kings of the surrounding nations about how the Assyrians are on the warpath. They're overthrowing and devoting to destructions all the nations that they capture. And so he, they, these kings send messengers to Hezekiah to tell him, hey bud, you're next. Your God's not going to be able to deliver you. And Hezekiah responds in, in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 15 with these words. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. First place, preeminence. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 25 to 26. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. First Psalm 8, 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 95, verses 2 to 3. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. First place, preeminence. Psalm 97, 9. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. First place, preeminence. I could go on in the Old Testament, but let's jump to the New Testament. We're running out of time. John chapter 3, verse 31. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. He who came from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony, sets, he sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. First place, preeminence. Ephesians 1, 20 to 21. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And exalted him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above, not just above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in the, this age, but also in the one to come, first place, preeminence. Philippians 2, 8 to 11, and being found in human form. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Not just exalted, highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First place preeminent. And in Revelation 1.5, listen, from, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. First place preeminence. Let me see if I can make it street level for you. Listen. In my home, we love to watch the Olympics. I don't know about you, but we watch the Winter Olympics and we watch the Summer Olympics. I just love athletic competition. Right? I watch the Summer Olympics. I like them a little bit more than the Winter Olympics because growing up in South Louisiana, mm, there's no winter. Okay? Uh, so you don't participate in any winter sports. Uh, but I love to watch the Olympics. And every time, every time they cycle through, every two years, we watch both of them. And I love watching the awards ceremony. Every time that they televise those, whenever they have the top three athletes from each nation, athletes from each nation and they put them up on the podium, right? And you got the third place bronze medalist who's a little bit lower than the silver medalist who's a little bit lower than the gold medalist, okay? And so they have them situated on the podium and they come to place their medals on them and call out their names and their nationality and they place the medals on first the bronze, then the silver, then the gold. And then as, as all the athletes are standing there on the podium, those three athletes are there. They begin to raise the flags, right? Uh, raise the flags uh, behind them. Uh, and as those flags are raised, right, the flag representing the athlete from the bronze medal nation is a little bit lower than the one from the silver. is a little bit lower than the one from the gold. But as those flags are raising, they begin to play the national anthem of the gold medalist. And as that anthem is playing, you can see the gold medalist's face beaming with pride. You can imagine, you can ima just for a moment, you can imagine the friends and family of that gold medalist and how their hearts are erupting with pride for what's this achievement that has been accomplished. Because they're at the top. They're in first place. And those flags are raising and even their countrymen are beaming with pride. So let me tell you something. What Paul is telling us here is that Jesus, through his resurrection from the dead, has come out on top. He's won the battle. He's achieved his aim. He's received the medal. And he's on the top of the podium forever. Never to be vacated. He's taken first place for all time. He's the only eternal goat. Okay? I don't care who you think the goat is in football, in baseball, or in basketball. He's the only eternal, or hockey, or soccer, or any of those sports. He's the only eternal goat. And as he takes his place on the podium, which by the way, we're told that because his work is so great, his work of redemption has been achieved, that he's not standing there on the podium. He is seated at the right hand of the Father on the podium because his work of redemption is done. He sits down, and as he sits down at the right hand of the Father, the music begins to play as he's there on the podium. And you can imagine, I'm going to ask our band to come up right now, and they're going to lead us in song as soon as we're done. But as that music begins to play, you can imagine all of God's people erupting in songs of praise and raising up prayers and petitions before the throne of God. And if, as they echo through the heavens, and if you listen closely, if you listen closely, you can hear these words from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And if you listen closely, you can hear holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you hear worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. 
And you hear the echo of worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, even the whales were singing, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Jesus takes first place for all time and everything. That's the dot. Conform to his design. Follow his path and pace. Trust him to hold you together. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to sing. Let's stand up and respond to God's word. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church, but tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.